I just pray for our brethren that uh, may have forgotten if if uh, if my uh, didn't live with my missus, I'd, I'd never remember. I'd never keep track of that. She she'll tell me like a month ahead of time. Yeah, next month we got to turn the clocks. So I'm like, and um, and then I would probably turn it in the wrong direction sometimes. But we had one Easter service where uh, I was preaching to twelve people. And then as I was wrapping up the message, like 40 or 50 people showed up, and I was, and, uh. One time, somebody called and said, where are you? Oh, yeah, yeah, we also, we've, I don't mind people being an hour early, but, uh. All right, open your Bibles up to Ephesians chapter 2. We're back in the book of Ephesians. We've been out of there for, like, half a year with our series on the end time prophecies. And then we had a few more messages after that, and um, and so today's message is made alive in Christ. I don't know if we'll get all the way through it and um, uh, today, but uh, it's going to be on Ephesians chapter two, one to ten. So if you could open up there to that page in your Bibles, and as you're turning there, um, let's go to the Lord again in prayer, just one more time for the uh, anointing uh, of the of the preaching of the word. Uh, and again, it might sound weird to some people visit our church, and but it just, um, you know, God's entrusted fallible men to preach his infallible word, and we don't always get it right. So we're just hoping and praying that God will prevent me from uh, leading anybody astray. So, so if you bow your heads, we'll go to the Lord in prayer one more time before the preaching of the word. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we love you, Lord. We thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to take our punishment for us and die on the cross for our sins. And we thank you that you raised him from the dead to conquer death for us. We thank you that you have uh, filled us with your spirit and dwelt us with your spirit uh, to guide us through life and empower us to be obedient uh, to you from the heart. And so uh, we just pray, Lord, that today your word would be proclaimed from this pulpit. That as John said, you would cancel the man. That you would anoint me with your spirit to proclaim your truth so that I would not lead anyone astray. And I pray that those who are here, they came to hear the word of God preached. And so I pray that uh, you give them the wisdom and the courage to test everything they hear, even from this pulpit, but to test all things with your word. And to only accept that which is consistent with your word, with your truth. I pray, Lord, that you would empower us by your spirit uh, to not just understand your word, but to be able to apply uh, what your word teaches to our lives so that we could live for your son, Jesus, so that we could build your kingdom and not our own, and so that we could live to bring you glory rather than bringing glory to ourselves. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Okay, so Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 10. And um, it's been a while since we've been in Ephesians, because things got really crazy and we just decided we needed to update, have an update on the end time prophecies. So we spent eight, 18 weeks on that, and then we had a few other very important messages as well. And now we're back in Ephesians. This is what I love doing best, is just expository preaching, breaking down verse by verse through the Bible. 
And we've been going through the Bible now for, I don't know, if it's been 15 years or whatever, but we're on the book of Ephesians. And in the first chapter, Paul, um, you know, wanted us to thank God because of all the spiritual blessings we have in the heavenly places. And, you know, you can look at life today and, you know, we Americans are so prosperous compared to anybody else on the planet. But you could look at life today with the, the virus and having to wear masks and socially distance and you can't get in, get together in crowds this too big or whatever it may be. And uh, you can really look at, at that and say, man, things aren't real good here on planet Earth. And uh, now if we were living in Ethiopia, things would look even worse, a lot worse. In many of these uh, third world countries throughout the world. But whether you're a wealthy Christian or uh, a poor Christian, okay, we have these spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And that's where our focus has to be. Uh, if the world hates us and the world makes fun of us and someday we lose our jobs and lose our property because we love Jesus, um, just remember the spiritual blessings we have in the heavenly places in the Lord Jesus. This is, that's what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. Don't allow your circumstances to control you. You know, when things go your way, you're happy. When things don't go your way, you're sad. Don't trust in your circumstances. Trust in the God who is sovereign over our circumstances. So even when he allows bad stuff to happen to us, he'll work it for good. That, oh, that statement that, so that that guy is too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good, that's actually a false statement. Our problem is we're not heavenly minded enough. And we realize who we are in Christ and the blessings that we have in Christ, then uh, maybe we'll get with God's program and allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. And that, so that's why after that, Paul praise that God give spiritual wisdom to the Ephesian believers so that they would live consistently with those blessings that we have in, in heaven. You know, Paul tells us that we're no longer slaves to sin. Once you've been saved, now you're slaves to righteousness. But a lot of us still act like we're slaves to sin. Um, you know, there were a lot of, after the Civil War, there were a lot of slaves who were set free from their masters, but a, a lot of the slaves thought, well, this is the only kind of life I've known. And a lot of their former masters were like, well, we've been devastated by the Civil War. We can't afford to pay you. And so a lot of slaves stayed on the plantation and continued to work, and they just kept uh, some of the produce for themselves, but they were basically still working without pay for their former uh, masters. And that's the way we are sometimes. We are spiritually rich, but you wouldn't know it. We walk around and act like we're, we're spiritually poor, okay? And so we got to recognize we're no longer slaves to sin. Now we're slaves to righteousness. We have all these spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. And, uh, and so God wants us to acknowledge that and live by faith and not by sight. Now that leads us up to Ephesians chapter 2 where Paul is going to say that we're made alive in Christ by God's grace through faith in Jesus. 
So look at the first three verses. Now, you might want to, if you got a pen handy, you might want to add notes to this because my notes are a lot thicker than your notes on this. So we'll be covering a lot of different things here. But in verses 1 through 3, Paul's going to talk about who we once were. Who we once were. Before you came to Jesus, who were you? Okay? And he's really, he's really focusing in on the, the, the pagans, the Gentiles, because the Ephesians are primarily pagans. So you'll see a lot of we and you and that type of thing. So he's talking as a Jew. He'll include the Gentiles and we, but sometimes he's saying, well, this is, I'm talking right now about you, you Gentiles. You're so far from God's truth, worshiping pagan false gods, but now God has brought you uh, close through the Lord Jesus. Who we once were, verses 1 to 3. What God did about that, verses 4 to 6. Okay? Why God saved us, verse 7. Very little preaching on, on one of the primary reasons why God saved us. Yes, God saved us because he loved us. Um, but uh, there's also something else going on here. So why did God save us? And then how God saved us. And it's not of works. It's not earning your salvation or doing penance or whatever. Uh, it's by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. It's a gift. It's not of works. But then who we are now, verse 10. Okay? And uh, God's work of art, new creation in Christ. So let's take a look at the first three verses here. Ephesians uh, chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3. And you, and he's talking to them as Gentiles, but you'll see that he'll start using uh, first person plural, we, and, you know, and us, um, that would be the, uh, what, the third person plural. He'll start using uh, those pronouns so he's, he's talking specifically about the Gentiles, but it also applies both to Gentiles and to Jews. But the Gentiles have had millennia, thousands of years being outside of the, the true faith, um, which got lost after the fall of mankind in the garden, and then the, after the flood, and then uh, God through Abraham brought the true faith back to mankind. So we have to understand, and this is something, um, you know, I've often been questioned, well, Christianity, if it's the one true faith, how come it's only been around for 2,000 years? So there was no one true faith before that? Well, you have to understand, Christianity is the fulfillment of Judaism, which had been around 2,000 years earlier. So now we're going back 4,000 years. But you have to understand, when God chose Abraham, there was this guy Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God, it wasn't even Jewish. So the true, one true faith was being preached. It had been preached uh, before uh, the Tower of Babel. It had been preached before the flood. It goes all the way back to the garden in Genesis 3.15 when God says a man will be born of woman who will crush the head of the serpent, defeat Satan, but in the process he will be bruised. So the prediction of a suffering Savior. And so we need to think of Christianity not just as the one true faith. It is the one true faith, but it's also the recovery of the one true faith. As the Jews started getting away from 
thinking about the promised Messiah who's going to be the savior of mankind and started focusing more on, on um, uh, the law and things of that sort, they were losing the grasp of the one true faith, okay? And, um, and so we need to think of Christianity as that um, recovery of the one true faith. Well, the pag these pagans had been separated from the Jews, and uh, so they were just worshiping these local deities, these false gods. Each culture had its own false god or gods. And, um, and uh, so in verses 1 to 3, Paul says, And you, you pagans, he made alive, God made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which... Uh, you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others, okay? And so you can see he started to talk about, man, you pagans have been so separated from the one true faith. Uh, but then real quickly, he also says in verse 3, among whom also we, um, we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. So he's saying, you guys had it really bad, but we had it bad too. I mean, we were outside of God's, Salvation till we came to Jesus as well, both Jew and Gentile. And so first he says that we were uh, once dead in trespasses and sin. Uh, the Greek word for dead is nekros. And theologically, death always means separation. Death does not, you've got to tell our Jehovah's Witness and Seventh-day Adventist friends, death does not mean extinction or annihilation. Okay. Death means uh, separation. So physical death is when the spirit is separated from the body. James 2.26 tells us that. Physical death is when the spirit is separated from the body, when the spirit or the soul leaves the body. Okay? And uh, that's physical death. But spiritual death is when we are separated from God. When we are separated from fellowship with God. That is spiritual death, okay? And we were dead. We were separated from God. This is why Jesus could say um, uh, of those who are false, you know, they profess to be believers, but it turns out they're not. He says that um, I never knew you. And so being spiritually dead means we don't have that saving knowledge and saving relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's two different words used for uh, sin here. There's trespasses in the Greek, paraptoma, paraptoma, and then there's hamartia for sins, okay? And so the trespasses, a trespass is like a, a false step. It's, it's to willfully cross a forbidden line. So a trespass is, that's when God says, don't go across that line. Like when God said, don't eat from the forbidden fruit. And what do we do? We just, like a little child, we just step across that line. Okay? 
So that's a, a trespass, a willful decision to cross a forbidden line. It's like, you know, you see um, no trespass signs, okay? And um, for you to go past a no trespass sign, that's pretty obvious. You're just, you're just disobeying a rule and going, going past it, okay? Uh, but sins, you know, a lot of us might say, I, I can't say this, I was a rotten little kid, but, you know, some of us in here say, well, I'm not, I'm not a big-time trespasser. When Mommy and Daddy told me, don't eat cookies from the cookie jar, I wasn't like Fernandez. I didn't wait for them to leave the room and then go into the cookie jar and steal a few, co few cookies. I obeyed my parents. I didn't do a whole lot of trespassing. Yeah, but we all did a whole lot of hamartia. Okay? Um, I mean, you, you're ne my next-door neighbors are such great people. They treat me good. They leave me alone, basically, is what I'm saying. Okay? So, you know, but they're, as far as I know, they're not saved. So I got to try to share the gospel message with them. So they're kind of, they're like, they're like hamartia people. Okay? And so some of you were, uh, before you got saved, you were hamartia people. Okay? And we're all hamartia people. But I was also kind of a, a paraptoma people. By the way, I know some of you. We got a whole lot of paraptoma people here too, so don't don't lie to me. And um, uh, this, you know, the sad thing is, the Hamartia people they get saved, and they write their testimony, and nobody buys their books. You know, so so that, that tells us a little bit about the Christian Church. You know, we we love having former mafia hitmen that got saved, and uh, they're the real trespassers. But the fact of the matter is, even if you were that good kid who finished at the top of your class, and you were the teacher's pet, and everybody said, oh, what a great kid. You're still a, you're still a hamartia person. You know, hamartia is like, um, okay, the, the difference between trespassing and then the word for sin, the missing the mark, um, if, if the bullseye's down there and you got, the, um, you got your bow and arrow here, and your instructor tells you aim at that uh, the bullseye, and you just look at him, and you turn the other way, and you put an arrow in the uh, coffee stand. Uh, that's that's paraptoma. That's a willful transgression. Okay, but hamartia, you really aim at the bullseye, but you miss the ten ring, and it goes in the nine ring, and you could be jumping up and down and saying, hey, "I'm so happy! I got nine out of ten! I got nine out of ten! Nine out of ten will still get you to hell." Okay, don't lower the bar of, of righteousness. The righteousness and the holiness that God demands is the righteousness and the holiness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And none of us are perfect. We all fall short. So there's a lot, I tell people on a regular basis, you're a good man in my eyes. You're a good lady in my eyes. But then I have to tell them, now keep in mind, that doesn't amount to anything. Okay? You got to be righteous in the eyes of God to get into heaven. And we can only receive that righteousness by a gift from God. But this is, uh, this is why um, in Romans 3.23, uh, Paul tells us that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's, that's hamartia. Okay? You can try really hard, but you still fall short. Okay? And... Um, you know, Romans 3.10, he says that, that there is none righteous, no, not one. 
So even those nice people that we know, you really that's really sad. There's going to be a lot of nice people in hell. Okay? Uh, but by the way, there's advantages for non-believers to be nice and to out, at least outwardly obey God's general commands for all mankind. There's advantages to that because it might be easier for them to see Jesus when he comes. So they have to just be careful not to um, think, well, I'm a good guy, I deserve to go to heaven. Um, but there's a reason why John the Baptist said, repent, turn from your sin, for the kingdom of God is near. He knew that sin could blind them from recognizing Messiah when he comes. Okay? The disadvantage of hamartia, if you're really good in the eyes of men, you might think that you don't need Jesus. Okay? But whatever the case, we're separated from God. Um, and, and dead in our trespasses and sin. Um, Romans 6.23, Paul tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, it's like Mark Lowry, the Christian comedian. He was also a really good singer. And um, when he went to Liberty University in Virginia, they would go drive all night to go and... Uh, he would sing, another guy would preach, and they had the sound man, and then they had their designated driver. And it was their, their ministry. He said most of the time they didn't get paid enough to pay for the gas, you know. And um, um, they got in a really bad car accident once. It's a crazy story. And, uh, but, um, but whatever the case, one day he went alone to go sing somewhere and they didn't pay him enough money for the gas to get back to Liberty and so he was crying on the way back not knowing if he was going to make it and uh, finally he was just he just started screaming out to God he was all alone in the car and he just said um, all I want is what I deserve all I want is what I've earned and then he said, and he said, now keep in mind, he, he said, I'm a Baptist. I'm not Pentecostal. So this is the only time God spoke to me. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, but he heard the voice of God telling him, you want what you deserve? It's called hell. It's called hell. And that's why salvation is of grace. We don't want what we deserve. We don't want what we have earned. Okay? And we might earn respect in the eyes of other people. But that's not God. If I say you're good, you're okay in my book, who cares? What does Phil Fernandez's book even mean? You got to be righteous in God's eyes, righteous in God's book, and the only way to do that is through faith in Jesus. And, um, and so we were dead. We were once dead in our trespasses and sins. Sometimes we sinned on purpose. Sometimes we tried to do well, but we just missed the mark. But we were dead. We were spiritually dead. Had nothing to offer God. We were separated from fellowship with God. Separated from the power of God to do the right thing. And so who, who we once were, verses 1 to 3, um, we were once dead in trespasses and sins. Paul says that we were controlled by the world. This means controlled by the world system. Um, the Greek word is cosmos. 
We walked according to the course of this world. But the world, sometimes, you know, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There, the world is talking about all the people in the world. God loves all the people in the world, okay? But take a look at 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. And verses 15 to 17. 1 John chapter 2. And verses 15 to 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. This is why we need to be diligent. We need to be good students of God's word. This isn't even a metaphor here. It's just the word, the same word world, can be used in a different sense. So if God loves the world so that he sent his son, we need to love the world. But in this context, we need to not love the world. So we need to put our hats on. But, but even after you define a term, you have to use, see that term, how it is used in the context of a sentence to see what that word fully means. And so he's, here it's do not love the world or the things in the world. So this is not talking about the people of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. And so, when Paul talks here in Ephesians 2 that we once walked according to the course of this world, what he's talking about is not the people of the world uh, whom God loves, but he's talking about the evil world system that God hates. God created a perfect world, but then we sinned. We fell. We perverted or twisted God's perfect creation. Okay? And God hates all the corruption and perversion and sinfulness of this world. So here it applies not to the people of the world, but we walked according to this evil world system, the course of this world. Before we were saved, we were controlled by the world system, which is opposed to God's way, since the world lived in rebellion against God. You know, Jesus in John 15, 18 says, If you find the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. Look at um, Psalm 1, the first couple verses there. Psalm 1. Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. You know what the counsel of the ungodly is there? That's the course of this world. So blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But, this blessed man, but... 
His delight is in the law of the Lord, God's word. And in his law he meditates day and night. And then God will cause his life to spiritually prosper. He'll be pleasing in the sight of God. What Paul is saying is before we got saved, we walked according to the counsel of the ungodly. We walked according to the course of this world. We were okay with the evil world system set. Okay? Look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12. Verses 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, he's talking to believers now, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You see, we're still, even though Jesus offered his sacrifice once for all for the sins of mankind, we're still supposed to be offering sacrifices to God but not dead animal sacrifices. Live human sacrifices in that we offer our bodies. We say, Lord, the body that you gave me, the strength that you gave me, the wisdom that you gave me, I want that to be used to build your kingdom and not my own. Okay? And, um, um, and so we offer our bodies to the Lord as a, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. So we have a spiritual priesthood, okay? A spiritual priesthood, a kingdom of priests. We're all priests now. But we offer, you know, we pray for others, and we offer our bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord. That is our reasonable service. And words for service there was a technical term, service in the temple. Then he says this in verse 2 of Romans 12, and do not be conformed. Don't be outwardly conformed to this world. So don't be outwardly conformed to the pattern of this world. That would be like, you know, a believer still living in accordance with the course of this world. Okay? Don't be outwardly conformed to this world. Let me say this. Most professing Christians in America today are not offering their bodies as living sacrifices. They are outwardly conformed uh, to this world. And it, it is so bad. They live in the, if the... If the evil world system today calls something good, they say, okay, I agree with you, it's good. If the evil world system calls something bad, they say, okay, I agree with you, I'll, I'll call it bad. Okay? So we, we got churches today... Um, that have members in good standing that are gay married couples. Okay? Now, now I mean, by the way, you would expect that from the mainline denominations that have walked away from the Lord a long time ago. By the way, every one of those mainline denominations has back to the Bible movements. So, like, it's like Lutheran Church walked away from the Lord a long time ago. Yeah, but um, Missouri Synod, um, Wisconsin Synod, there are uh, North American Lutheran Church, same with the Presbyterians, same with the Methodists. You'll have splinter groups that are a remnant that are remaining true to the Lord. But the fact of the matter, it's gotten to the point where even quote-unquote evangelical Christians, churches that claim 
we believe the Bible is God's word without error are now promoting things like, you know, critical race theory, uh, promoting uh, sexual deviancy, um, you know, they're conformed to this world. Paul says, don't be outwardly conformed to the world, but be transformed. That means to be inwardly transformed. Confirmation, being conformed, okay, that's outwardly conformed. Don't be outwardly conformed to the world, this, this world, but be inwardly transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, our minds need to be renewed. When you trust in Jesus for salvation, you have a new mindset. Paul talks about that in Romans 8. Now you want to please the Lord and not please yourself. You have a new mindset. But you still bring with you your old worldview. The conclusions you drew from the old worldview. And so we need our mind to be daily renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit through prayer and study of God's word. Okay? And do not be outwardly conformed to this world, but be inwardly transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You want to find God's specific will for your life? Okay? You have to uh, basically offer your body as a living sacrifice to the Lord, refuse to be outwardly conformed to the world, and allow the Holy Spirit to renew your mind through the study of God's word and through prayer and, uh, and through obedience to the Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So before, who, who, we, who we once were, before we got saved, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were dead to God. We were separated from God. No fellowship with God. We were controlled by the evil world system. Okay? Before we were saved, we were controlled by the evil world system, which is opposed to God's way, since the world lives in rebellion against God. That's who we were before we came to Christ. And that, by the way, that is really, that is so easy. Once you come to Christ, it's really easy to look at the uh, paraptoma, the trespass people, and say, oh man, that's pretty obvious. We were living opposed to the Lord. But that means even the hamartia people. Okay, um, if we're just trusting in our own strength and not acknowledging our need, our total dependence upon the Lord for salvation, we're still controlled by the evil world system. Uh, I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, the line between the line between right and wrong is getting so thick. Okay. You don't need a doctorate of theology degree to figure it out. Okay? See, what was... The way things were in America, since 98% of European Americans at the time of our founding were Protestant Christians, about 1% were um, Roman Catholic Christians, and about 1% were, were, were Jewish. Okay? And um, now, of course, among the 99% that claimed to be Christian, not all of them were really Christians. You had the Thomas Jefferson, Ben Franklin-type Christians, didn't even believe Jesus was God, and the Bible was God's Word. Okay? But basically what I'm getting at is the difference between the way American culture viewed 
reality and God's view of reality, there wasn't that big of a difference because our culture was founded on biblical principles. Those days are long gone. Now, by the way, we didn't always live consistently with those biblical principles. We had to fight the Civil War because of that. Okay? Um, but now, what, you know, it's Isaiah. We're living in an Isaiah 520 culture. We are living in an Isaiah 520 culture. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. You know, I mean, it's, it used to be at one time, we started out with God's moral laws in this country. Okay? So at one time, if somebody found out you're a Christian, praise God, you're a Christian. I'm a Christian too. We can fellowship. Then we entered into a no morality. We went from God's morality to no morality. What's right for you is right for you. It doesn't have to be right for me and vice versa. Well, your neighbor finds out you're a Christian. And they say, I'm so happy for you. I'm glad that's good and that's true for you, but it's just not good and true for me. I'm thinking of looking into Buddhism or, or whatever, okay? I don't believe that there's a God, but I'm just going to try to be a nice guy like you're a nice guy. So we went from God's morality to no morality, and now we're, in, we're no longer there. It's no longer moral relativism. Now it's new morality. Now we're redefining what, it, what a family is. Redefining what a good citizen is. Okay? So, I mean, if, if you support Marxism, Marxist socialism, and you want to break down buildings and protest in the streets and set cities ablaze, all of a sudden you're a good guy. Okay? Um, and so we're, we're just, we're redefining it. If you, all kinds of names for people who believe in, um, in biblical morality, in God's morality. So, so now when your neighbor with new, with new morality, they find out you're a Christian, they say, I didn't know you were one of those bigots. I didn't know you were one of those racists or whatever other names or Neanderthals. Okay. Um. But I mean, you, you go back even when Janet Reno was the Attorney General, the Department of Justice had a definition of what a terrorist was, and nothing on the list had anything to do with killing people or destroying property. It was like you believed in the right to bear arms, you owned firearms, you attended home Bible studies, you believed in the second coming of Christ and you stored food. And I felt guilty back then because I wasn't storing food. And, uh, but it's like, no, that's not what a terrorist is. So, th so that's why we have certain politicians who don't want to call Antifa and certain segments of Black Lives Matters as domestic terrorists. But they're starting to imply everybody who voted for the other party is. And um, so we're changing the definition of uh, what is right and what is wrong, okay? And, um, and so basically what, what I'm saying is, look, this evil world system is controlled by Satan, okay? Do not cave into it. Test everything with the Word of God.
Everything. If it doesn't stand with the Word of God, I don't care how nice or how brilliant that politician or neighbor might be, you got to say with Joshua, but it's for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You got to decide. Decide now which side you're on. Don't wait. You know, don't wait until their their Gestapo's knocking on the door. You make your decision now which side you're on. But before we were saved, we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were controlled by the evil world system, and um, and then we were were told here that we walked according to the the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and that prince is the spirit who now works in the son of disobedience. So you've got to understand, when you side with the evil world system, you are siding with Satan, either directly or indirectly. You might say, well, I'm not a Satanist. Yeah, so you're not directly worshiping Satan and following him, but indirectly you're in his camp, okay? So Satan, the prince of the power of the air, he's an angelic being, a spirit being, who's created by God, and then fell. He was probably God's highest created thing. So that it wasn't. In Jude 9, Michael the Archangel doesn't even, doesn't even lock horns with him. But says, the Lord rebuke you. Okay? And, um, um, but Satan fell from his position... And so he's now the ruler of this world. You know, God gave man, man dominion over the earth, but Satan stole it from him uh, in the garden, okay? And so he set his will against God's will, and now he leads everyone who has not yet come back to God through Christ. He is their leader. This is why, this is why um, uh, Jesus could say to the Pharisees, that you're sons of the devil. Your father is the devil. You claim your father's Abraham, but your father uh, is the devil. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Peter says this, Be sober, be vigilant, uh, vigilant. Be vigilant. I invented my own word. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, that's Satan, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. What did Martin Luther once said? I know Satan exists because I wrestled with him this morning. Okay? And, and granted, you know, if Satan wants to mess with Phil Fernandez, he's probably not, he can only be in one place at a time. He's not omnipresent. He's not God. He's not eternal. He's created. He had a beginning. So, you know, if Satan wants to mess with Phil Fernandez, he's probably going to send one of his lower-level demons to, to mess with me. But we've got to look at things through God's eyes. Not just, well, the world calls something good and it contradicts God's word, so it's evil, okay? But through God's eyes... Through the Bible's portrait of reality, well, since this is the Word of God, the biblical portrait of reality is the correct, accurate portrait 
of reality. And guess what? The biblical portrait of reality is a reality that is not just physical, like Carl Sagan and Richard Dawkins thinks. There is a true physical realm, but there is a spiritual realm as well. And we got to stop acting like, um, you know, only, you know, we're going to live by sight and not by faith and not acknowledge that Satan and his demons, the invisible, evil, fallen beings who are superior right now to mankind in power and intelligence, that they are trying to lead us astray. And they're doing a really good job messing things up. So it wasn't like Satan just let us to fall in the garden and then left us alone. Now, we don't have time to look at it today, but you need to thoroughly study Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 18, the full armor of God. You need to, to put on the full armor of God each and every day. You need to make sure you have the, the helmet of salvation, uh, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, okay? The shoes are the preparation of the gospel of peace. Are you ready to share the gospel at any given time? Okay, uh, do you have the belt of truth, uh, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God? Okay, um, when I was in the Marine Corps, if you couldn't shoot your M16, uh, you'd get kicked out of the Marine Corps. I mean, they, they work with you. I've seen guys fail a few times and end up turning a three-month boot camp into a four-and-a-half-month boot camp but, I mean, if they couldn't teach you how to shoot, what good is a Marine who can't shoot? This is our only offensive weapon when it comes to spiritual battle. We've got to be grounded in God's Word, okay? We've got to be grounded in God's Word. But I'm telling you, Peter got it right. The devil, our adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You know one of the reasons why he knew that? Because when he can look at Jesus, Jesus said, who do men say I am? Then Jesus said, well, who do you say I am? And at Caesarea Philippi, Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you know, you're blessed. Because flesh and blood, man didn't reveal that to you, but my Father who's in heaven. God the Father spoke through Peter there. Isn't that amazing? The God who created the universe spoke through Peter right there. Now right after that, Jesus said, okay, good, you guys are doing good. You guys are getting it finally. We're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer and die and then rise from the dead. And the apostles were thinking, no, wait a minute, we're waiting for a military conquering Messiah, not a Messiah who's going to die. So guess what Peter did? After pronouncing that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of the living God, he then rebu rebuked Jesus. He tried to correct Jesus. And you know what Jesus said? Get, me get behind me, Satan. Okay? See, God could speak through a man. God spoke through Balaam's donkey. We have no problem with that. God could speak through a man. 
but Satan can do that too. And, uh, and that was Caesarea Philippi was a pretty demonic place, possibly the most demonic place on the planet Earth at that point. You know, I preached a sermon on that. It was the first sermon when the shutdowns came, and um, and uh, but I'll tell you, Satan was roaming around and thought, "Okay, Peter's doing real good right now. Let me smack him down." And so, so Peter knew, you can go. You could be used to God in one moment and the very next moment be used of Satan. In fact, Jesus even told Peter, I'm sure Peter remember this, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And then Jesus said, but I prayed for you. And so, so when you make a comeback through the power of God, you got to shepherd the flock, take care of the brethren, but you're going to deny me three times. And, um, and so we're... Before we were saved, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, controlled by the evil world system, and controlled uh, by Satan's will. We don't have time to look at it, but Revelation 12.10, Satan spends the bulk of his time accusing the brethren before God's throne room. Halfway through the, what we commonly call the tribulation period, three and a half years before Jesus returns, Satan will be cast out of heaven by Michael the archangel and his angels. Just read Revelation chapter 12. Okay, and Job chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Satan comes with the uh, other sons of God, the other uh, fallen angels, other angels, some fallen, some unfallen. He comes into God's throne room, and that's where God says, Well, Satan, you want to mess with somebody, how about Job? Okay, and um, so Satan has access into heaven right now. He's not chained up in the abyss. He'll be chained up in the abyss when Jesus reigns on earth for a thousand years. Just read Revelation chapter 20. Then he gets released, leads one final rebellion, and then he'll be thrown in the lake of fire forever and ever. Satan does not rule over hell. He and his demons might rule over Hades. That's, that's a whole other thing. Okay, that's a temporary place of torment. But eventually at the great white throne judgment, the separation of the believers from the non-believers um, if you're in a lake of fire the worse you were the lower the place you're going to get and the more punishment you're going to get And um, but look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 2 Corinthians chapter 4 Verses 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. But even if our gospel is veiled, some people are spiritually blinded from seeing the gospel. Even if our gospel, the good news of salvation through Jesus, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age, the God of this world, has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Okay? Before we were saved, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we were controlled by the evil world system, and we were blinded by Satan. Okay? We were blinded by Satan, who is referred to as the God of this age. 
Paul calls him the prince of the power of the of the air. By, by the way, the demonic deception is off the charts right now. The more America turns its back on God, the more of an open door Satan and his demons have. And so we're seeing demon possession cases on the rise. Uh, we're seeing paranormal activity, like Bigfoot sightings and things of that sort. How many people know that Bigfoot are known to appear and disappear at will? And then... One thing, and this doesn't settle the whole issue, but one thing that alien abduction cases within the, within the UFO movement, alien abduction cases, demon possession, and Bigfoot sightings have in common is this horrible putrid smell of sulfur. What the fire calls, what the Bible calls brimstone. Um, so, but basically, there's nothing new about entities superior in knowledge and in power from visiting the planet Earth and proclaiming a false gospel. That's been going on for thousands of years. The ancient Greeks called them the gods. They used the word daimonios. Ancient Christians and ancient Jews said, well, what they think are gods are actually fallen angels, and we started calling fallen angels demons. Okay? Um, but... Um, but we got to understand, when you decide to go politically correct, right now political correctness means anti-Christian in your thought. You start to say, well, I'm going to become pro-abortion. And uh, by the way, we, with, with gay people, homosexual people, we should love them. But if we love them, we got to speak the truth in love and try to lead them to Jesus. We don't tell them that, no, your actions are perfectly okay. I wouldn't tell an adulterer or someone who's sexually promiscuous or a pedophile, I wouldn't tell them what they're doing is okay. The uh, Bible declares homosexuality to be a sin. So when the world wants us to be politically correct and embrace things like socialism, which has slaughtered more human beings than any other form of government in mankind's history, when the, when the world tries to convince us to become politically correct, we got to understand the world is trying to enlist us in a different army. Why would we, who are the sons and daughters of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, why would we, who are, have enlisted in the army of God in this spiritual battle, why would we say, oh yeah, we want to now enlist in the army of Satan? But Paul's saying, that's what you're doing. Uh, that's what we used to do before we were saved. We were controlled by the evil world system, which is controlled uh, by Satan himself. So Paul could then call us in Ephesians chapter 2. Who were we before we got saved? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were controlled by the evil world system. We were controlled by Satan's will. We were sons of disobedience. So before we were saved... We were not capable of obeying God from the heart because of our sin natures. This is why Jesus said in John 15, 5, Apart from me you can do nothing. In John chapter 8, uh, Paul tells us that it, it, in the flesh, in our own strength, it is impossible to please God. Okay? And so the spirit that was working in us before we were saved was Satan who did his work through his demons 
That's who we once were. If you're trusting in Jesus for salvation now, stop acting like the old you. The old you is dead. You have a new king now. You have a new nature. The sin nature is now, now, now human nature is, has been redeemed through the Lord Jesus. God's not finished working on you. He's not finished working on me. But we used to be slaves to sin. Now we're slaves to righteousness. Before we were saved, we were sons of disobedience. That means slaves uh, to sin. And so before we were saved, we were not even capable of obeying God because of our sin natures. And, um, and so that spirit that was working in us before we were saved was Satan, who did most of his work through his demons. Okay? Um, I, I think what we're going to do, we're going to stop there to receive the Lord's Supper. So we're still on the first three verses, who we once were. We were dead in trespasses and sin. We were controlled by the evil world system. We were controlled uh, by Satan's will. And we were sons of disobedience because it was Satan who was at work in us. And we'll close with this passage, 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Paul is telling us to flee sexual immorality... And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, he says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Okay? We used to think we belonged to ourselves. Most people on earth think, it's my life. Look at... Look at uh, ladies who argue for abortion. It's my body. I can do my body, with my body, whatever I want. Okay, well, try, I used to say, try walking around naked. You don't have the freedom to do with your body whatever you want. Because it, if it infringes on other people's rights, try walking in Walmart without a mask right now. It's my body. I can do whatever I want. Um... No, with abortion, what about the baby's body? You don't have the right to kill another human being. Okay? But we got this idea. We own ourselves. It's my life. No, if you've trusted in Jesus for salvation, that was who you once were. The old you is dead. Now you belong to Jesus. Let me say this, too. When you thought you owned your own life, You didn't. You know, there's people today who think they own their own life, they own their own bodies, they could do their own thing, and they don't even realize um, that the wannabe tyrants who have brainwashed them, they don't even realize that they're throwing their freedoms away. You got young people who are all for the Green New Deal and don't even know that they're not even going to be able to drive their cars someday. You got people who want the World Economic Forum's Great Reset, and they don't even realize if we get that, you're not allowed to own property anymore. I'm sure the government will give you, 
your smartphone. So as long as you just keep doing this, you'll think you're free. Just don't look out there at the real world. and You won't see how miserable your life actually is. So what I'm saying is, when we, when we thought we owned ourselves, I own, this is my life, I own it, we were actually slaves to Satan and his kingdom, and we didn't even know it. Did not even know it. Now we're servants. We're slaves to the Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about today who we once were. When Paul closes his passage, he's going to talk about who we are now. Okay? We were once dead in our trespasses and sins, slaves to the world and slaves to sin. He's going to end this passage saying we're God's workmanship, God's poem, God's work of art. Now, he's not done this portrait called Phil Fernandez. So I'm still getting on your nerves sometimes, okay? But when he gets done, it's going to be a portrait that is going to be in the image of his own son, okay? And um, so who we once were, but just remember, now you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in your body, resides in your body, and works through you and wants to change you. So, but, but, but never forget where you came from. You know, I mean, there's sometimes we just, we look at people and say, you know, it, it's just like he, when things get bad, I'll cry out, Lord, just come now and just wipe out all those who oppose your kingdom. Yeah, well, I wouldn't have prayed that prayer a day before I got saved. And God was patient with me. And so the Lord's not slow about his promise. Um, but, uh, He's desiring for all to come to repentance, but he's going to know that perfect time when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, the hardening of the hearts gets removed from the Jews, and then Jesus will take his stand upon the earth. But um, let's not live like the old you that you used to be. Let's, let's not act like we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Let's act like we're alive to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? And uh, I'm going to ask John to come up and lead us in the um, Lord's Supper. Running.